Right. So we're talking tonight about giving. Isn't that an exciting subject? And the Bible has a great deal to say about giving, what we do with our money and, and what we do with our lives and the lifestyle we, we choose for ourselves. It's the first, as, as Brad pointed out, in the series called It All Adds Up. And because it's the first in the series, I want us to start in the Old Testament and, and really look at if you were a devout follower of Yahweh living in, in Old Testament times, what would be required of you in terms of your giving? And I think it's a fascinating subject. We must remember that the economy back then was very different to ours today. There were no home loans, credit cards, debit cards, and cryptocurrencies. You basically bartered with the stuff you had or grew and sheep and goats, uh, and that's how you got by. Obviously, by the time of Jesus, there were silver coins and gold coins, and, and money developed as it came along. So how was wealth really measured back in the day? Well, as I've said, it was measured with how many camels you had, how many oxen, sheep, and, and how big your family was. That is really how you, you measured wealth. There was no inflation, uh, and there was no interest charge. That was one of the interesting things in the book of Leviticus. So there were really six ways in which people were expected to give if you were a devout follower of the Lord living in Old Testament times. Six ways. And the first one was through the offering of animal sacrifices. Now, the, we can get a little queasy around this subject. You know, unless you grew up on a farm somewhere, you're not really used to slitting the throat of an animal. We're, we like to get our meat from Pick and Pay or Woolworths, and it's wrapped in cling wrap. Um, but, but back in the day, the sacrificing of animals was a very important part of, of biblical faith. It's a complex subject, and, and we're not going to go too deep into it tonight. But... At the heart of offering an animal sacrifice, it was about taking something that was valuable to you. And if it wasn't valuable to you, well, then it didn't count. It wasn't a sacrifice. It was taking something of value to you and giving it to God. And the way you would do that is actually by burning it completely to ashes. And here's a fantastic example of a really great dad. His name is Job, and he had a big family, and whenever he's kids through big parties. You would always think maybe when they were dancing and having fun, they did something that displeased God. So, so after the party, uh, Job would sacrifice an animal for each one of them. Do you see that there? When a period of fasting is run at course, Job would uh, send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking perhaps my children have sinned. And this was Job's regular custom. So this was a way in which worship happened. It didn't happen in the temple. You did this at home in your backyard. As I said before, we get a bit squeamish about killing animals. We just have to think at what happened in Clifton Beach a few weeks ago and uh, how upset a lot of people got when a sheep was slaughtered on the beach. Of course, that wasn't a, a sacrifice to God. That was... Uh, an African ritual of, of some form. 
So there were really five main ways in which people gave in the Old Testament offerings. And the Hebrew words get translated differently, so they might have different names in, in different translations. But there was the burnt offering. This was when you took a sheep, an animal, a goat, and, and you burnt it right through the night as a way of showing your love for God and as a way of showing how valuable your relationship with God was to you. This, then there was the grain offering. This was a good one because you would actually cook something with, with grain, make some bread, bake a cake, and you would take it off to the temple, give it to the priests, um, they would break a little bit of that bread off, burn that, give that to God, and then they would enjoy a nice snack themselves. Then there was the peace offering. This was also where you took an animal, uh, but it was a bit like a communal braai. Uh, it was different to a burnt offering because you wouldn't completely destroy the, the animal. You would cook it nicely and then you would get to eat it with your friends and, and the people that were there, and you'd enjoy fellowship and peace with each other. Then there was also the purification offering and the guilt offering, or the reparation offering, and you can learn more about these things. Here's another amazing example of how the sacrificing of animals worked in the Old Testament. Do you remember in 2 Samuel 6 when they wanted to move the ark of God? The ark of God represented God's presence here on planet earth. And God's presence was so holy that if you, if you touched it in the wrong way, you would actually die. And somebody did die. His name was Uzzah. And David was very upset about this and said, well, God, if that's what you like, I don't want your ark around me. So he sent the ark off to his friend's house, Obed-Edom. And after a while, Obed-Edom's shares just went through the roof and he was totally blessed out of his socks. So David figures, hey, I'm going to go and get the ark back because where God's presence is, there is blessing. So he decided to bring the ark back to where he was. And we read that, and this is a couple of kilometers journey, every six steps David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. That's a lot of animals to sacrifice. That was David showing God how, how devout he was, how serious he was about pleasing God and, and revering God. So sacrifices was, the way, was a way in which people gave to the Lord. Moving swiftly on. The second way was through, through tithing, giving a tenth of, of their produce, uh, what they were producing. They gave a tenth of that to God. Tithing is described in Leviticus chapter 27. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. The entire tithe of the herd and flock. Every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And I can imagine a shepherd back in the day bringing his sheep that have been in the pasture. As they go through the gates, he's like, number one, number two, number three, number nine, ten, boom, you're the Lord's. Off you go into that pen. We'll pick you up later and take you off to Jerusalem. Next ten, one, two, three, four. So all crops, all produce, a tenth was given to the Lord. And why did they do this? Well, it's quite easy to understand, really. 
When God brought his people into the land of Israel, there were 12 tribes. And all of the tribes were given a place to live, except for one tribe, the Levites. They did not get any land as an inheritance. And that's why the Bible says that the Levites, they were the tribe, the people set aside by God who served in the temple 24 hours a day when they were on shift. And that's why we read about the tithes in number, Numbers chapter 18. The Lord said to Aaron, he was the head honcho of the Levites, you will have no inheritance in the land, nor will you have any share when they divided up the land. I am your share, says the Lord, and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do. So every tenth sheep, boom, 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 that was given to the Levites because they didn't have farms to work. They didn't have lands. And so all of God's people who'd been blessed with land and who could produce were to give a tenth of what they got to the people who were in full-time ministry, which at that time was the Levites. So that's where tithing kind of comes from. Interestingly enough, there was more than one tithe I'm not entirely sure how this worked. Some scholars say there was like a three-year cycle with a couple of tithes uh, thrown in there. But one particular tithe you got again to have a nice party with. I mean, this is good stuff. Deuteronomy 14, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord. So once again, here's part of giving to God of your substance. It reminds me a little bit of Holy Communion because it was a sacred meal that you enjoyed together. So that's a little bit about tithing. But there were many more ways in which God's people in the Old Testament were expected to give. Here's the, the third way. Helping the poor, helping the poor. We don't really consider giving money to a poor person as kind of a spiritual act of obedience. But in the Old Testament, it was referred to as almsgiving. Even within Islam today, giving zakat or paying alms is, is the third pillar of the five pillars of Islam. It forms a very important part of one's relationship with God. And so giving to the poor, helping those in need, was expected of devout believers. And we read in Deuteronomy, for example, that we mustn't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards the poor. We need to give generously and without a grudging heart. And then the Lord will bless us. So God's people were very much exhorted to be, be giving to the poor, helping the poor. Jesus alludes to this in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you give, it's to the poor. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't make a big song and dance about it. But Jesus speaks about this alms giving as well to, to support and to help people. Then there were special projects that came along from time to time. They needed to build a temple. Well, where was that money going to come from? They would look to God's people to provide that money. 
Sometimes things got really tough and the people felt, hey, we're getting pushed too hard here. In our sermon series on Nehemiah, we, we heard people had to sell their kids into slavery. It got so bad. And there was a bit of a rebellion. They had to pull back and say, oh, okay, no, let's make another plan. But when they started off building, rebuilding this temple in Haggai, the Lord says, is it time for you to be living in lovely, wonderful houses when my house is, is a ruin? Consider your ways. And so it's a great passage, um, and Haggai says a lot. But there were special projects that uh, God was calling people to be involved in. There were also military exercises, etc., etc. There were taxes in a theocracy. You must remember that Israel was, was not just a, a political kingdom. It, it was really a kingdom with, with God at its center. So in this theocracy, um, we read about all the bad things that kings would do to explo exploit people. We even read about people having their land taken from them and all that kind of stuff. And the king taxing the people, etc., etc. Let me jump to free will offerings. There was another way in which people gave in the Old Testament, and that's through a free will offering. All these other offerings and sacrifices that I've described to you, the burnt offering, tithing, uh, these things were compulsory. But the free will offerings were things you just gave because you wanted to. You wanted to show your gratitude to God. And there were some free will offerings that were absolutely fascinating. Did you know that you could go and share a drink with the Lord? Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it was called a drink offering. And we read about it in Numbers 28. The drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen of a fermented drink, so it was alcoholic with each lamb. But, and instead of just drinking it yourself, you would pour it out on the ground. They called it a, a libation. There was also another free will offering called the wave offering. Isn't this interesting stuff? You would literally take along to the Lord like a sheaf of barley or whatever it was that you'd grown. You'd give it to the priest and he would wave it with great joy uh, unto the Lord. A little like some people do and don't do with these flags. Wave offerings. That's a free will offering, a way of expressing your devotion to God. So here's a little summary then of, of the ways in which people were involved in giving during the Old Testament. And friends, sadly, things often went wrong. Often went wrong. Let me tell you how things went wrong with people's giving. The first way things went wrong with giving with sacrifices is that people would pick animals that were just about dying or diseased or missing a foot. And they would say, this one's no good to me. I think I'll give that one to God. And this is what the prophet Malachi says. He says, what kind of an offering is that? What kind of a way is that to show respect? When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor and see how it goes down. The point is that when we give something to God, 
It needs to be something that's valuable to us. Do you know that the Passover lamb, you would have to take it into your house. You would select it ahead of time, and for 10 days, you'd have to watch that little guy and make sure he was healthy and sprightly. And you actually formed a bit of a bond with that lamb. And then when the Passover came, that lamb would be your Passover lamb, and you would feel it. But the idea was to make sure that it was a healthy lamb. There's another story that talks about sacrifice and the need for us to actually cost us. Remember when David was going to buy the Temple Mount in Israel? Of course, it wasn't the Temple Mount back then. It was just a hump in the ground where people used to thresh wheat and throw it up in the sky. The wind would catch it and the good bits would remain behind. He went off to buy that place. And when he goes to buy it, the man who owned it said, don't worry, David, you're a friend of mine. You can just have it. And actually, here's an old cart. You can use the wood to make your sacrifice. And while you're at it, just burn that ball anyway. And David will have nothing of it. And he says, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David's reminding us here that when we give to the Lord, for it to have value, for it to mean something to God, it must in some way be, be costly and valuable to us. Another way in which giving went wrong was people didn't care for the poor. And that's what Isaiah 58 and Isaiah chapter 1 is all about. God says, I'm not interested in your, your fasting and your meaningless rituals of religion. What I want is for you to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them. And I think these are important words for us to hear, to be reminded of God's heart for the poor. And I hope as you go in to vote on Wednesday that you will also be thinking of the poor and what's best for them as we try to build our country. I love Isaiah chapter 1 where God says, I've had more than enough of burnt offerings. I have no pleasure in them. Who has asked of you this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. What I want you to do, verse 17, is to seek justice, to encourage the oppressed, to defend the cause of the fatherless, to plead the case of the widow. This is true religion. Let's move on into the New Testament as we learn a little bit about giving there. Well, interestingly enough, Jesus had to pay the temple tax. Jesus practiced animal sacrifice. When he was dedicated and circumcised to the Lord, two pigeons were offered as a sacrifice, which shows that Jesus' family was actually quite a poor family. So Jesus did practice animal sacrifice. Jesus also commended the Pharisees for their tithing. They used to even tithe out of their herb gardens, which is pretty impressive. Jesus says that's a good thing. You know, keep doing that, but uh, don't forget the more important things like justice in society. So as I said, let's move now to the New Testament. What did giving look like in the early church? And some of this is going to surprise you. 
you'll be pleased to know that we no longer have to sacrifice animals to please God or to show our, our worship to God. Because Jesus has been sacrificed for us. This is at the center of the gospel. He is our atoning sacrifice, 1 John 4. 1 John 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 3, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Hebrews 10 describes in great detail how Jesus is our high priest and how he himself said, here I am, Lord. And he offered his life as that sacrifice to, to restore our relationship with God. But there is still one sacrifice we do have to offer. Does anybody know what it is? What? Yeah, it's a human sacrifice, and it's you, and it's me. Romans 12, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What does God expect of us in the New Testament era? It's to take that thing that is most valuable to us, our very lives, and to offer that to Him as a sacrifice. Fortunately, we don't have to set ourselves alight and burn ourselves through the night. He wants us to be living sacrifices, but the idea is that we're given to God. We ourselves are given to God as an act of worship. And I'm reminded of John Wesley's famous prayer, who really got this idea. He's prayed, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee, for I am yours. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. I'm sure you're wondering, well, what about tithing? What about tithing? Nowhere in the church age are Christians commanded to tithe. It's a good model for us from the Old Testament, but it is not a law that Christians have to abide by in order to earn God's favor, as is taught in some other churches. I've got the exact figure of how much we have to give to God when we become a Christian. Anybody know what it is? 12%, 15, 10, 60, it's 100%. Let's just get straight to the point here. This thing about God's only interested in 10% of what I have and the other 90 I can do what I want with it is really not Jesus-style Christianity. In Luke 14, Jesus is at pains to make sure that people that are going to follow him know what they're, what they're letting themselves in for. And he says, I don't want any of you to rush into this being a follower of mine story. And he tells two stories. He says, if you're going to build a tower, you first count how many bricks you've got because you don't want to start and then find you don't have what it takes. Then he gives another example. He says, 
think of a general going to war. You don't just rush out and pick a fight with someone or go to war. You first check out, okay, how are my troops doing here? Are we, are we going to win this thing? And then you make a decision. That's why it says in verse 33, in the same way, we need to weigh up the cost. Are we, are we up for this Christianity? In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. The New American Standard says, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. This doesn't mean that you've got to sign over everything to the church. We're not a cult that does that kind of thing. There are some organizations that do that. I think Tom Cruise belongs to one of them. But being surrendered to God means that all that we have, all the money at our disposal, if we're a true follower of Christ, needs to be stewarded for His glory and, and in a way that glorifies God, not used for selfish gain. In the New Testament, Giving to the poor remains a priority. And as I was preparing this message and looking at scriptures about giving, I was amazed at how often the giving is about giving to the poor. Remember when it comes to this tithing story, there was no longer a group of Levites in the temple that needed to receive that tithe. And we'll come back to that later. Jesus talks about the importance of helping the poor. In the Sermon on the Mount, when you give to the needy. John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity, how can the love of God be, be in them? In Galatians 2, after the big council meeting described in Acts 15, the whole lot of things are, are drawn up. Okay, we don't have to obey the Jewish law to please God. We don't have to eat kosher food. Okay, we're doing good. Oh, okay, but remember, we need to remember the poor. We also learn how the early church cared for one another, and there was no needy person among them. And then the fourth way in which New Testament believers were to give was to support ministry and mission, to support ministry and mission. Because um, I, I just want to say one quick thing, and this is important. Sometimes idealistic and often young people look at Acts 4 where everybody's sharing their things and there's no needy person. They say, wow, isn't that an awesome example of communism? Friends, that's not an awesome example of communism, nor is that even socialism. That is people whose hearts have been touched willingly sharing what they have with other people. Communism and some forms of socialism is when you force to share. And forcing people to sharing is just another word for stealing. Just wanted to put that out there. Supporting ministry and mission. Jesus himself taught, the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So tithes in the Old Testament went from the people to support the Levites. Those were the people who were in full-time ministry. That same principle operates today. 
that we as God's people should be giving money to support those who are in full-time mission and ministry and so that they can be dedicated to the task of ministry and mission. One last story, and then I'm closing, finishing. It's about a Jesus watching people putting money in the offering in the temple. And a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. Notice how Jesus assesses our giving. And giving is a very personal thing, and everybody's circumstances are different. But when Jesus looks at what we're giving, I learn from this incident that Jesus doesn't just look at what we're putting in the coffer. He's looking at what we're keeping for ourselves. And Jesus lifts up this woman who gave out of her poverty. He gave up everything as an act of, Lord, I have nothing. Here I am. I give it all to you. Please, will you look after me? And Jesus holds that up to us as a wonderful example of giving. So the takeaway from tonight is there's only one sacrifice that God requires of us. It's a human sacrifice. It's you. Have you offered yourself as a living sacrifice to God? That's what he wants us to do. Do you realize that all that you have as a Christian belongs to the Lord? And you need to use what he's given you wisely and well and for his glory. And to whom much has been given, much is going to be required. We are stewards, not owners. Well, we all remember that it is important to have the poor and the needy on our hearts. To share our food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And God also requires of us that we be faithful in supporting the projects and the ministries and the people involved in, in mission and ministry. Let's pray together. Worship team, you're welcome to come into the stage too. Lord, we see that throughout scriptures, people have always been involved in giving in sacrificing, taking what is valuable to them and giving it to you. And tonight, Lord, we want to just reaffirm that we desire to be living sacrifices. Here we are, Lord, each one of us. Take our lives and use them for your glory. whether it's for greatness or insignificance, whatever you have for us, Lord, we count it a privilege and an honor to serve you. 
be glorified through our lives. We offer ourselves to you, Lord. And help us to be faithful in our giving, to be passionate about the things that you are passionate about, Lord. To not be so concerned about our paneled houses, feathering our nests, that we forget about what's happening in your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to care for the poor and to be compassionate for those less fortunate than we are. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Thank you.